0: It's the bottom line on News Radio 610 K.O.N.A. From the Tri-Cities to Olympia to D.C., we break down down the stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line presented by McCary Meats in Basin City with your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson.
1: Well, the will of the people, the will of the people in Washington State has been trampled on again by Olympia. And if it wasn't bad enough, let's welcome the acceptance of socialism to the evergreen state. The gun bills that received a floor vote and passed were larger
2: than the ones that didn't. But surprisingly, a pro-gun bill passed as well. We'll talk about it, but first...
0: Give us your bottom line. It's your voice, your show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610.
2: Welcome to The Bottom Line, Thursday afternoon, News Radio 610-KONA. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson, with you, 547-1610, if you want to get involved. And, Ed, well, we're going to start off with, um, again, I guess it's another example of the lowest hanging fruit being ripe for the picking. Um, the makers of Oxycot Purdue Pharma said yesterday that they are considering filing for bankruptcy Hmm. as they are battling lawsuits that attempt to hold them accountable for the opioid crisis. Okay. Okay. Now, a little bit of background. Washington State is one of a number of local and state governments that have sued Purdue, drug makers, distributors, Saying they are responsible for the national opioid crisis for the way they allegedly, deceptively, and aggressively marketed their products.
1: Hmm. Now, if they do. That's interesting wording. Yeah.
2: Now, if they do file for bankruptcy, a federal litigation judge could decide if cases involving other companies can move ahead while theirs is handled separately. Here's what's interesting about this, okay? Oxycontin hit the market in 1996,
1: okay? hmm Yeah, it's been around for a while.
2: It's been around for a while. It's been around for over 20 years. Now, according to the CDC, addiction and overdoses increased dramatically after the release of Oxycontin. In 2017, 48,000 opioid-related deaths were cited, but... They can't say how many specifically were attributed to Oxycontin. Hmm. Because there are a number of drugs that fall under
1: the opioid banner. You would think Legal that. Legal and illegal, by you, the way. Yes. You would think that a chunk of them were because of it, because you wouldn't see that dramatic uh, a rise in the same year that a new drug hits the market. But that, again, we don't know to what extent.
2: That is that is absolutely correct. We don't know to what extent.
1: But much
2: like you've seen um and, and I'll I'll take the concussion lawsuits for example against the NFL. Everybody was going after the NFL. Nobody was going after the NCAA. Nobody was going after high school teams. Why the NFL? Because it's the lowest hanging fruit with the most amount of money, and potentially the easiest to be able to make an argument against. But is it really the manufacturer who is to blame? Because when OxyContin hit the market, much like every new, and it went through the FDA process, and the FDA signed off on it, and the FDA said it's okay, and you put it out there, much like anything new that comes from science, especially in the prescription drug field, people look at it and go, well, oh, this is the latest, greatest advancement. This is going to help so many people. This is going to do so
1: much good. Until people get addicted to it.
2: Until <laughs> Right. Until more information comes out and you find out that it's highly addictive and that more things need to be taken into consideration. But again, I go back to the question. Is it all Purdue
1: Pharma's fault. Let me me run a parallel argument, if I could. We're talking about going after, legally, the producers of a legal, with a prescription, legal prescription drug that people have become addicted to. And yes, people have died from overdosing on. Haven't we gone through this before? The thing that sticks out in my mind is, isn't this the same type of an argument that we made in this country a handful of decades ago with tobacco cigarettes, amongst other things. Amongst other things, but I'm I I'm thinking specifically of of that industry that people it, legally, if you are of age. They're legal for adults to use. They can cause harm to you. And yes, people can die. Lung cancer, among other things, throat cancer. And a, and there were also a, a litany of lawsuits that were filed against not Marlboro or specifically or any of the other brand names, but... The tobacco manufacturers, the, the the big deep pockets, right? And what came about? Well, there was some money that changed hands. I mean, Christine Gregoire uh, became the governor of the state of Washington because she sued the tobacco industry for the state of Washington and won uh, bags of money for people. So, some money changed hands, and there were some increased labeling that was required by cigarette makers. People still smoke. People still develop ailments, and yes, they still die. So my question is, given what we've been through in this country, and yes, you're right, there has been a number of those type of things, but the the tobacco cigarette example to me, is it runs the the most parallel to the prescription drug argument. Do we go after the producers of said drug or tobacco cigarette? Do we go to the distributors? Do we go to, you know, where do we place the blame? And it's not just the blame. Where can we get the most bang for our buck with a lawsuit money namely and yes maybe some restrictions or labeling changes or what have you 54716105095471610 here on the bottom line news radio 610 kona here's what i think is most interesting in the
2: wording regarding the lawsuits deceptively and aggressively market their product hmm what business doesn't aggressively market its product? Well, the the difference here is deceptively. What business doesn't embellish its product? And you can make the argument that embellishing <laughs> your product is also a deceptive form of
1: advertising. So let me ask you this: Yeah, okay. Uh, At what, what line does that cross in, into from embellishment to deceptiveness? Exactly. So let me let me put this
2: out there, okay watching TV, and I see a commercial for a Whopper, and that Whopper looks like the greatest burger on the face (laughs) of the planet to eat. (laughs) Yeah. Okay? And then I go to the drive-thru, and I get a Whopper with crappy lettuce, half a tomato, maybe one or two onions. It's sideways on the bun. (laughs) Can I sue Burger King for deceptive and aggressive marketing? Because I got a burger that looks like somebody ran it over instead of the one that I saw on TV. I don't know. You're that's up a, on the you're up on the bottom line. News <laughs> Radio six ten K O N A.
3: Hey, um, so I remember when the, when all the lawsuits happened with the cigarette companies uh, that they weren't allowed to advertise anymore either. Camel Joe went away. The Winston Cup changed its name. The all these other. Uh, sporting events and advertisements went away. So, how, you know, it yeah, a couple of dollars changed hands and uh, some stronger labeling happened. I don't ever see advertisement for OxyContin. Have you?
2: No. I mean, you you don't, but the That's marketing, the deceptive, the, the the marketing element, and I think what they mean by that in the lawsuit is the marketing to the distributors and to the doctors' offices and could be uh, making sure that they would prescribe yeah. that particular medication. No, I didn't see any commercials for OxyContin either. I don't see any commercials for hydrocodone or anything like that on TV. But I think that their their premise with that is. Pushing it on the uh, distributors and the doctors, particularly. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KOA. What's your name? Where are you calling from?
4: Hey guys, it's Chris from Richland. What's up, Chris? Hey, hey I think we're getting really close uh, to some big, big problems here. I don't know where this is going to end as far as alleviating the personal responsibility of individuals. Where are we going to stop this? It's getting to the point to where everything anybody does, they point their finger at somebody
2: else and says it's their fault. When is it going to stop? It's not, Chris. Have not you figured that out yet? It's not. <laughs> as long as there's low-hanging fruit, somebody's going to try and grab it. That's that's the way it works. But here's the other part of this, too, that I find interesting, especially with the cigarette thing. We'll talk about it when we come back. I'm going to take a quick time out of the bottom line, News Radio 16 A because as one of our listeners pointed out, the Winston Cup went away and no more Camel Joe. It started a lot earlier than that. People don't realize how long ago it started. We'll touch on it when we come back. More of the bottom line
0: next. Can't get in by phone? Give us your bottom line through email. Send your thoughts from the bottom line's page at 610kona.com. Back to the bottom line. Presented by McCary Meats in Basin City on News Radio 610-KONA.
1: You can email us, too. Just go to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page and send us your question or your comment. Let's head to the phones, though. Got a caller standing by. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Sean from West Richland. Hi, Sean. What's up? Well, uh, three items for you. One, it's never about the money.
4: It's always about the money. And just like your uh, previous caller said, no one is accountable anymore. And the third uh, part of it is I'd like to know if you guys have a n- number for uh, Burger King corporate or uh, McDonald's corporate because I need to set a lawsuit because they've made me fat from their deceptive uh, mannerisms
2: of their advertisement. Yeah. That's all.
1: Deceptive Thanks and, and aggressive. Yes. And aggressive. And th-
2: that lawsuit was tried 17 years ago. It didn't work. No, it didn't. Same thing with the coffee and you know, yeah, everything else. but it's interesting how it doesn't work against McDonald's and Burger King when they fake prop up their burgers on TV. But it, it, it's going to work; it, it may work against Purdue Pharma. But that's, that's never that's once, a
1: different story. Never once in the history of McDonald's or Burger King, I think this is safe to say, has anyone ever purchased a burger that looked exactly like the one on TV?
2: Now, I can say the closest I have ever gotten. To buying a burger that looked like it did on television was Carl's Jr. Okay. That is the closest I've ever gotten. But it's never been Burger King or McDonald's. Ever. Ever has it looked like that. All right. Duly noted. But um, the cigarette thing is, is even more interesting because as, again... You know, you go back to the late 90s, early 2000s, Governor Gregoire, former Governor Gregoire at the time, Attorney General Gregoire, had her big lawsuit against big tobacco. Yep. The federal government started going after big tobacco in 1965. Okay. 65. 1965 was when they went, started going after big tobacco with the Federal Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act. That was when warning labels needed to be put on the side of cigarette packs. It's
1: 1965. So that, okay. necess- I, I, you could argue that that was not about the money. That no. Was, that was probably actually about th- what it intended, the, that, the labeling and you know, letting people know that this product may or may not be safe. That was the beginning of the famous words on the side of every
2: cigarette pack that said, caution, cigarette smoking may be hazardous to your health. Now, from 1965 until 1970, they were still able to advertise. But that little box, that little rectangular box, had to be included Mm -hmm. on all advertisements. Then after the 70s came in, you started to see less. Because I actually have some old Sports Illustrated magazines from the late 60s and early 70s. Yeah. You stop right around 71, 72, there were no more cigarette advertisements in Sports Illustrated. They yeah. were gone. Yeah. So, in the early seventies, you started to see the advertising clampdown on the cigarette companies.
1: And how did okay. that work out? We didn't see them on TV. Well, no, I mean, but but how you know how did that work out for the for the big picture? I'm guessing few, if any, people died from cigarette smoke and and lung cancer, and and I'm sure usage was way way down. Right. No,
2: not at all. Um, but then, see, they started to get into direct mailing. So the cigarette companies went to direct mail mm-hmm. where they'd send you coupons. Yes. It would still have the little thing on it. Oh, yeah. But they would send you stuff. And then, of course, when the digital age hit and they started establishing websites, and then you got into the Joe Camel thing. But the cigarette companies found ways around the, the warning labels to still sell their product, but they still included the warning labels on all their products. Which, to me, comes back to this point. If you smoked cigarettes before 1965 and you got cancer, you have a case. <laughs> if you got cancer in 1966, you don't have a case. Because they told you, point blank, could be hazardous to your health. If you developed anything as a result of smoking after 1965...
1: That's on you're you. You're out of luck. It's on you. Yeah. You were warned, Okay. Yet billions have gone out in settlements since then. Billions of dollars. I mean, and it's so ridiculous. I mean, it is
2: so ridiculous. You know what I'm waiting for? Hmm. I'm waiting for a smoker who is blind to sue the tobacco companies because they don't put the warning in Braille on the side of the cigarette package. That's the next one I'm waiting for.
1: I, I'm, That's the next one I'm that it, waiting of it, it hasn't done already. I mean, let sue for everything else. But you know what I mean. We've gotten to such a point where,
2: as, as a couple of callers alluded to, there's no personal responsibility. In this case, though, when you're talking about Purdue Pharma and OxyContin, how much can you really hold Purdue Pharma responsible for the creation of OxyContin when... You can go to Canada. You can go to Mexico and illegally obtain the same drug. You can buy it overseas. Granted, you're running a real risk of it being the same composition, but you can buy it overseas. There are other ways that you can get it. That doesn't, now to me, when you get further down the chain, you have, you can make an argument for a little more culpability. Because in honest, in all honesty, if you didn't have... Dr. Feelgood's overprescribing, how many of the pills that did hit the street would have hit the streets. Now, not all of them. There were others that came in illegally in different ways and different manners, but certainly there was a percentage of those overprescribed Oxycontins that found their way onto the street being sold to individuals. Are they truly the ones to hold responsible and in this, in this instance is one that, that I would give latitudes only because you didn't start having pain management doctors working their way into the equation until maybe five, ten years ago. When people really started to understand the danger of, of the prescription opioids and how you could get hooked on them. Then you started to see pain management doctors, specialists in understanding, dealing, and being able to help manage pain without developing a reliance on opioid medications or pain medications. So you have a period of time there where nobody was talking about the dangers. But once the dangers were known, then where does the individual accountability and the physician accountability come into play.
1: Well, let's uh, let's dive into that. Um, how does one hold a doctor responsible? Simply by a lawsuit? Or are there other methods? 547-1610-509-547-1610. You can email us by going to the website, 610kona.com. Go to the bottom line page. Send us your question or your comment. Get you some local news. And more of the bottom line after this.
0: Join the show. Call the Legendscasino.com hotline 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Rob and Ed. Presented by McCary Meets in Basin City on News Radio 610-K-O-N-A.
1: You can email us too. Just go to the website, 610KONA.com. Go to the bottom line page. Send us your question or your comment. This is the bottom line, News Radio 610KONA. Ed Dawson alongside Rob Francis and talking about a different facet to the opioid overdose and addiction issue in this country. Now lawsuits are being filed against the makers of the products themselves. Yep. Purdue Pharma is the most notable um,
2: They've been sued by Attorney General Bob Ferguson. They are the primary defendant uh, in a trial with the state of Oklahoma that's supposed to start in May. Um, but here's the interesting thing they say that that Purdue is responsible and and they very well could be I mean nobody is saying that you know, that that, that everybody involved is, is innocent. Because, look, if you create a product, you're going to try and get your product out there. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that your product is the number one choice of people that are going to use something associated. Okay? You, you see the on TV the constant aggressive marketing, you know, elements of deception that are used by every company to get you to like theirs a little bit more, call it embellishing, um, that happens over and over again you're up on the bottom line news radio 610 kona your name where you calling
3: from Jared
2: what's on your mind
3: so all doctors and pas and prescribing agents and pharmacists have to have a dea number that keeps them accountable for what they prescribe how you know if they're over prescribing and they know they're over prescribing how is the honest not on them as well
2: and that's really the big question, Jared. That's the one that we're asking as well is, you know, are all these institutions going after Purdue Pharma because it's the lowest hanging fruit? It's the easiest to go after? For example, we mentioned the NFL and the concussion lawsuit. The league as a whole was sued. The 32 individual teams were not. Correct. The NCAA was not sued. There are 120 Division One. NCAA football programs that weren't sued either. No high schools were sued. Why the NFL? Because it's got the biggest glut of money, and it's the easiest one to go after because it's the lowest
1: hanging fruit. I I go back to the argument or or the example of the lawsuits filed against the tobacco industry and getting the labels put on you know uh, the the packaging which was a good thing i, I you know uh, truth in advertising right and, and that's good yet people were still uh smoking right dying from lung cancer throat cancer and 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 the like my, my, cancers my, my my point is what is the end game here if it didn't work against the tobacco industry do you honestly think by suing the 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 production company of opioids that you're going to eliminate the opioid problem just look at the tobacco situation did it solve the problem no did it make it better eh, maybe did it make it worse who knows it didn't solve it though and so but if if your goal is to really make a dent in the opioid epidemic this is not the way. We've seen it happen before. The biggest difference with tobacco though is there's never been a
2: time that tobacco has been other than age restricted for purchase. You don't need a prescription to get a pack of cigarettes. Right? You you don't, you know, it's not classified under a a a
1: strength of drug classification. That's right. It is more readily available than opioids, which which would lead you to the next step in the chain with opioids, which we'll get to after this call. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Uh, Kennewick. My name is Lloyd. Lloyd, what's on your mind?
4: Well, I was just going to give an example that I had personally about in the 90s. I had a shoulder operation and uh, a doctor, uh, he prescribed 100 Percocet and I was supposed to go back in a week. Well, I didn't take but two because they kind of made me feel sick. So, and my shoulder wasn't that painful, but he stressed. He stressed uh, to stay up on top of that pain, make certain you stay on top of it, and use these pills. And when I got there, I'd only used two, and had I used one every four hours for seven days, I would have only had and needed 42 of them, and he had prescribed 100. And then. When I went to see him, and, again, I'd only used two, he asked me, do you need any more pain medication? You know, it was like he was really pushing them, and I don't know that we couldn't do a lot better with our, uh, you know, the distribution side, the doctors being a lot more careful, and who knows whether he was getting kickbacks or not. But the point is that I think there's several ways that we could reduce the number of uh, people having problems with it. And one of them would be the doctor's and distribution.
2: You're absolutely right, Lloyd. Yeah. Thanks for the call, man. If he would have taken a perk, said every four hours, would be carrying a drool cup with him. Oh, no doubt. Let's, Oof, go. Let's go back
1: to the phones. Let's try this line. You're up on the bottom line. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
3: This is Chris from Kennewick. Hi, Chris. And uh, I just, it comes down to self-accountability with the patients that are taking it and the doctors who are prescribing it.
1: Yeah, I, Thanks I, for the I call, think Chris. our last two callers have... Have hit it, uh, you know, again, not to say that Purdue Pharma doesn't bear some responsibility. Do you go after them and sue them for millions or billions, drive them out of business, and that's how you you solve the opioid epidemic? No, of course that's not going to be it. In one of the lawsuits, okay, or or I should say documents that have
2: been revealed from the state attorney general of Massachusetts claimed that in an effort to hike drug sales, Purdue misled doctors who were reluctant to prescribe strong painkillers to their patients. She claimed that Purdue disregarded safety and addiction and convinced doctors the drugs were safe in order to increase profit margins. But here's, here's the thing, and, and this is where, again, we, we get into, you have strong language that's thrown in, and, and nobody's defending anybody. Nobody's defending anybody in this. It's not it's not like nobody's making Purdue out to be a victim here. No, but we're trying to look at the big picture. Exactly. If the drug wasn't safe, the FDA never would have approved it. Where you get into unsafe is the usage. How much are you taking? How much are you prescribing? What dose are you prescribing? How much are you telling a patient to take? How much is the patient on their own? Deciding to take because they're either not feeling the effect of it anymore, or they're like, well, you know, if I have another one, I'll you know I'll, I'll, I'll take it an hour ahead, and you know I'll take one every three instead of one every four, and and that way I'll, I'll really be on top of the paint. There's that element there that has to be considered also. If the drug wasn't safe, the FDA would have never approved it. So. To me, to insinuate that Purdue knew that their drug was not safe isn't a fair statement. Did they know it was addictive? I bet they did. Yeah, it's being made with an with an opioid. Of course, they know it's addictive. But is it Purdue's fault that the doctors prescribed it? Is it Purdue's fault that the doctors prescribed it incorrectly? Is it Purdue's fault that patients took it incorrectly? I mean, that that's that's the part of this where again we go back to Purdue is low hanging fruit. It's easy to grab and pull on. Nobody wants to get into the complexities of the rest of the argument because you can't sue the rest of the argument as
1: easily as you can sue Purdue. You're up on the bottom line, News Radio six ten, K U N A. Who's this? Where are you calling from? This is Joe on Mount Pasco. Hi Joe. Hey, hey
4: guys. Listen, Rob, I don't want I don't want this to come out wrong, but you sound a little naive there. Are you ki- are you telling me that that they don't know that stuff is dangerous? Have you ever read the side effects and the, the drug interaction precautions on any drug that they've given you like that? Hey. That stuff is Deadly from the get go.
2: Hey, Joe, I've seen plenty of commercials on TV advertising drugs that are supposed to make you feel spry like a 20 year old, and they say one of the side effects is death. Believe me, I'm not naive. That's dangerous. That's what
3: I'm saying. I, I, they it, know it,
2: perfectly well how deadly some of these drugs are from the get go,
4: yet the government says to them when they, when they uh, um, approve these drugs that we believe the risk is minimal enough that, yeah, you can go ahead and describe this stuff, even though. Some people might die or have strokes from
2: this drug. Absolutely. There's drugs out there that aren't addictive drugs that could have side effects, that could lead to shutdowns in kidneys. Your liver could wind up, again, causing death. And they're not even addictive drugs. I understand completely what you're saying, Joe, which again comes back to another element of this. Everything has to get through the FDA. So if the FDA signs off on this and says there are more benefits than there are negatives. This isn't going to kill people if they take a pill or two on a prescribed schedule that they maintain, we're going to allow this drug to be sold then again at which point in time. Does it all fall in the lap of Purdue? Does it go to the distributors? Does the government have any accountability in the fact that they turn around and they approve something that goes on to have the, the potential? I mean, it's so easy to look at one thing and go, you're the boogeyman. You're up on the bottom line. News Radio 610 Kona, your name, where are you calling from? Dave. You know, What's up,
4: Dave? So why aren't doctors and, and pharmacists uh, named in this lawsuit also? Because you can't tell me, and you might even have experienced yourself, maybe your pharmacist questions some of the medications or quantities that you're getting, especially when you're you know, over and over and over and over again. My pharmacist does.
1: No, absolutely. I, I think, uh, unfortunately, appreciate the call. Absolutely, unfortunately, Dave, unfortunately for the call. most pharmacists, I think, are <laughs> overburdened, and I think that they just are more concerned about churning out their Prescriptions. I go, but, you know, but hold on. I, I, I think you're correct, and many of our callers are correct. Purdue Pharma bears some of the responsibility. The FDA probably bears some of the responsibility. It really, in my mind, not even the pharmacist. It comes down to the doctors that are prescribing it and the patients who are taking it. Those are, that sh- we should really be focusing on that. Interaction and relationship. Keep this in mind. And, and, and as, Dave, as, as Dave was referring to suing the
2: doctors and the pharmacists, that would cost a lot more money to go after every doctor, every pharmacist, and every distributor than it would to go after Purdue. But it or, might get uh, or, a bigger dent, though. Or the three distributors that... that, that Ferguson's going after. It would cost a lot
0: more money to individually single out the doctors. More next. Now back to the bottom line on News Radio 610. KONA. Presented by McCary meets in Basin City. It's your voice, your show. Call the legendscasino.com hotline 509 547 1610 at the
2: bottom line is Radio 610-KONA. is Thursday afternoon. Rob Francis said, Dawson, by the way, if you missed any part of our discussion, you can catch it on the Bottom Line podcast, now available through the website, 610kona.com, on the front page. Underneath the bottom line, on the tab of the top, you can click on Bottom Line podcast and catch anything that you missed. We got an email from Dean. Said, I was in the hospital. They were giving me oxycodone. They said... They couldn't believe I only needed a quarter of what they were giving me, and that my pain was treated just as well as, as, as acetaminophen. They said that they, they couldn't believe it. Okay, They kept asking me if I wanted that junk for 10 weeks after I accepted the last tablet I wanted. I'm going to go back. I'm going to quote First Lady Nancy Reagan. Everybody has the ability to just say no. Yeah, You can. Now, a lot of people... And it's one of these things that's been ingrained in us. You trust your teacher, you trust your priest, you trust police, and you trust your doctor. But you can challenge your doctor. You can ask questions of your doctor. Yeah. You can say, Doc, you know, I really don't think this is right for me. I really don't want to do this. Your doctor is not the be-all,
1: end-all source for everything. You can ask questions and say, I don't want this. Also got an email from Jim from Washburn. Jim writes: Okay, first off, Bob Ferguson is suing Purdue to increase his visibility for his political future, not for any altruistic reason. As for suing the doctors or anyone else along the supply chain, it would cost too much uh, to and take too long, and not give him the visibility he craves. And add to that the fact that people would get upset if their local doctor or pharmacy were sued. It is easy to demonize a big faceless corporation than, attach, than attack a local face with a lawsuit. Absolutely it is. Let's go to the phones. You're up on the bottom line. News Radio 610 KONA. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. My name's Tim.
4: Hi, so Tim. I'm talking about suing doctors. I've got a family member who is, has chronic pain for six years degenerative back we go to a pain specialist every month they have to sign a contract with that pain doctor that doctor monitors all prescriptions that are given out and you know ups or decreases the amount of the medicine for or whatever so 10 10 milligrams or 15 milligrams but they also do random drug tests and if you fail any of that or break any of that you break the contract, she releases you as a patient and also reports that into whoever tracks all that stuff. So
2: and you know what Tim, ah. thanks for the call and for letting us know because that's where we have got that's that's how the progression has come since the introduction of Oxy in 1996 getting on the market, people beginning to realize there's a problem here and as we mentioned in the last 5 or 10 years you've had specific pain management doctors that have gotten into the equation that will make sure that they are treating a patient appropriately, watching how much they're getting, watching, detecting the pain, so and so forth, the drug tests, everything else, because of the problem that's been raised. So there are doctors
1: that have taken the step to be incredibly responsible with this. So I guess... I I can't believe I'm saying this. I I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but as an alternative, again, if if your goal is to make money and raise your political profile, this is not for you. If your goal is to actually maybe put a dent in this problem, maybe it's time to legislate doctors do exactly what the doctor that the last caller referenced. It sounds like there is some accountability, there are some checks and balances involved, and that's. That would solve some of the issues. What do you think? 547 509 509-547-1610 5, here on the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. You know, the people that know and understand that they're the last line of defense are usually the
2: first ones to address a problem. Okay. They're usually the first ones to get. If we don't do something, if we don't begin to change our behavior, nobody else is going to. So that's where you had a lot of doctors turn around and step up, and there are even some doctors in the Tri Cities that will not prescribe painkillers. Period. That's if you right. Want, if you want a painkiller, don't come to my practice. I'm not going to prescribe them. Just going to stay away from
1: it altogether. Not going to contribute to it. So that's where it. Begins. Which is also too bad, I think. And on some level, I mean, it's certain, You know, if your patient needs something, you should. You should be able to to care for your patient. I get why they they wouldn't do that, but it is too bad. Let's go quickly to the phones. We're running out of time, but we'll squeeze in one more call. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
2: I fellas. it's
4: Mike. I'll make it short. I know you're up against the break.
1: We are. Go ahead.
4: What do you do with a guy? uh, I have several people that I work with. They've been on uh, hydros for 11 years, and all of a sudden the doc says, and guess what, you can't have them anymore, we want you to take Lyrica, or we want you to take something else, and now all of a sudden, everything that they use is gone.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's...
2: Well, I mean, the way you do it is is obviously there's a weaning process, you know, and then there's a management process, and you wind up working closely with the doctor, because if you're having any signs of addiction, if you're showing any signs of addiction, or you're having any withdrawal symptoms, then you have to address that as well. But it's not impossible to do, believe me. There are plenty of people out there that have overcome addictions to painkillers and so on and so forth. So it's not it's not easy, but it's also not impossible. And the more and more that this became a problem, the more people became aware of steps need that were needed to help people find their way off of these. Going to take a quick time out, come back for hour number two of the bottom line. Use Radio 610-KONA, and boy, you're not going to like what's been coming out of the legislature.